The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome okay, Hey, glad you're here. My name's Alan. We're in a series entitled Fruit, and uh, we're going after the nine fruit that Paul lists in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Before we uh, get started with that, though, I want to make a little bit of a... Of a notice of something that's going on over on our children's area. You may have seen a, a, a large green garbage dump uh, outside that area. That's not a new fashion statement for us. Uh, we are making some renovations in that area. In fact, we have a, a new family pastor, uh, Sal Cavaretta. I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to spend much time with him, but he's a go-getter, and he wants to, uh, to make some changes in our children's ministry area. Pretty excited about this. He's going to blow out some rooms in, uh, in, uh, in the far end of that area and create a space for first through fourth graders to have a uh, celebration uh, of uh, on uh, Sunday mornings, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Fifth graders are going to have their own little thing and set up for the uh, they're they're going into student ministries the year after that, and so we're going to be redoing the way we uh, do student uh, do we do children's ministries. We're going to have new check in systems. It's going to be safer. It's going to be faster, and all this is set up to be launched on April fifth. So it's a just a six or so weeks down the road, and uh, and so. Between now and then, each of those weeks, Sal's going to try to, you know, uh, let you in on what the plan is more and more. If you work in children's ministry, if you're a parent, you'll become more and more aware of what the plan is. But please uh, pray for that. We wanted to make you aware of that. This whole thing is going to be on a very small budget. Just wanted you to know in light of our economy, etc. We're going to do this the vast majority of this work, we're doing it ourselves and just keeping this down to a real uh, tiny thing. But we're real excited about it and uh, thrilled that Sal's here to stimulate this stuff. Okay. Okay. Now, we're going to jump into our series. We're looking at the nine fruit that Paul talks about, as I said, in Galatians chapter 5. And the thought here is that, is that we can be stimulated by... What fruit are supposed to be on our tree? Our life is a tree and we can, we can see the evidence of how things are going in the root system by how the fruit is on our tree and what kind of fruit there is, um, there is available there. The goal with this, with this series is that we become very familiar with these fruit. And so that's why we've set up a, a mnemonic device. It's a little bit annoying, but hopefully it'll, it'll help. That uh, If you could put up our graphic here, please. This graphic is a picture of... Little Jenny Piccolo plays killer guitar for Granny Smith. Woo! Okay, some of you are with me. All right. The first letter of that little phrase, uh, first letter of each word there is the same as the first letters of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Little Jenny Piccolo. Say it with me now. Little Jenny Piccolo plays killer guitar for Granny Smith. Woo! We're warming up. We're warming up here. Okay. So hopefully that annoying little phrase will stick around in your mind so that you can bounce through these nine fruit. And when you get stuck in life and you get at that point of saying, what's going on? What am I missing? What's happening? You can bounce through those nine things. And perhaps the awareness of realizing one or more of those pieces makes you think, what's going on with that? Why is that not in my life? Then we say, let's go to the root of this. Let's go to, the, to find out what's happening, what's going on in my journey. So today we're talking about the third fruit, which is peace. Peace. We're talking about feeling groovy without narcotics, uh, is what this is. It's about peace. Now, 
first question, which is very important to ask, is are you looking for peace? I mean, is this a, a, an interest for you to have peace in your life? I mean, last week we talked about joy. Who doesn't want to have more joy in their lives? The week before that, Juno uh, talked about love. That's a pretty popular one. We're kind of, every song is about that. I mean, we're all looking for love, often in all the wrong places. But, you know, we're, love is something pretty popular here. But I think the ratings go down just a little bit when it comes to peace. I think fewer of us wake up in the morning and go, I just want to experience peace today. I mean, there's some who just, you know, like George Costanza's dad, you know, serenity now! You know, they're really seeking after the peace thing. But there may be others of you who are saying, I don't want peace. I want a piece of the action. Go, go, go. I want to figure it out. I want to do more. Do, 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 do. What can I squeeze in the day? And maybe peace is a completely irrelevant fruit for you. Or maybe not. I mean, do you experience peace when you're stuck in a traffic jam? Do you experience peace when your high-speed internet takes 20 seconds to pull up yahoo.com? Do you experience peace when that happens? What about your relationships? Are you at peace with your parents? Are you at peace with your spouse? Are you at peace with your kids? Are you at peace with your boss, with the relationships that you participate in every day? It's not about being conflict-free. Life always has conflict. It's about having peace in the midst of those, in the midst of the the, the things that, that life brings us. Paul at one point says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control how people respond to you, but as far as it depends on you, how's it going in that area? Are you experiencing peace with yourself, with your past, with the decisions that you have made that have brought you to the place that you are today, with feelings of guilt perhaps or shame? How does things like fear and anger show up in your life? Does anger just pop up in surprising moments as a part of your life? Are you really at peace with yourself? Are you at peace with your God? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he forgives you, that he believes in you? I know you have unanswered questions about God, about who he is, about what's happening in our world, about what's happening with those that you care about, Bad things happening to good people? Are you at peace with those questions? Those are good questions. But are you at peace with that process? My guess is that if we're really honest with ourselves, there are areas of our lives where we're really not feeling groovy. Where the peace fruit on our tree is perhaps not as luscious or as plentiful as it could be, as maybe we'd like it to be. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, life is pretty hectic. It's pretty crazy. Some of us in this room, we've had a crazy journey just getting here. There's been not much peace in the home, in the car. God, it's just just a crazy world that we live in sometimes. Even here on Sunday morning where we come to experience your peace, and yet we got to get out at 65 minutes. I mean, just, just the life that we live often doesn't allow us to experience peace and just slow down. And so, God, I pray that you would take your word this morning. You would take this moment, this half hour, and that you would imprint on our hearts something about peace that we need to hear. Come, 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to take a look at Philippians chapter 4. Again, this is what we looked at last week. And, and no, I'm not doing the same message. I didn't have a bad week, and then I'm just doing the same talk. But, uh, but uh, I actually had a good week. But I did say last week that we're going to come back to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to go back into verse 4. Same place that we looked at last week. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. This book, this letter was written by Paul as well, same one who wrote Galatians. And what I love about this section that we're going to look at is that we're going to see some consistency in some themes that Paul brings out. Okay, he begins in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's what we looked at last week. That's about joy. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness is one of the fruit. We'll be talking about that in a few weeks. And then in the, ver- in the two verses that follow that, we're gonna be, it, it, Paul talks about peace. So these nine fruit, they're not just one verse that we are pulling out and highlighting and giving too much attention to. These are nine things that are so consistent throughout Paul's writings and so c- consistent throughout the rest of Scripture that I believe Paul put these together for a reason and we could greatly benefit from those. So here we jump into verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul begins this, uh, verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing. I mean, there's very few commands or suggestions that are more relevant in our culture than Paul saying, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. And we are very good at it. That is just the way we roll. The Center for Disease Control says that 50% of the deaths between the ages of 1 and 65 are the result of stress-related issues, 50%. And of our health care in the United States, Center for Disease Control, 80% of our health care goes towards stress-related issues. We are stressed out people. Anxiety is way high. You know where anxiety comes from? Anxiety comes from uncertainty. That's where it comes from. It just simply comes from the fact that we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know the future. Anxiety comes from, what about this? What about this? What about that? Anxiety comes from uh, thinking about our our relationships and just saying, well, am I ever going to get married? Uh, Is the person that I'm married to going to remain faithful to me? What about my friendships? Am I going to be lonely? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to get that job that I'm desiring? Am I going to have to move as a result of a job? Anxiety shows up with uncertainty. We just don't know what's around the corner. When uncertainty increases, anxiety increases. But anxiety, stress, does nothing but harm for us. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, it's a great, life is full of 
uncertainty. That's the way, that's the way, life is full of it. And, and it's, it wasn't different for Paul. I mean, this was his journey. I, I told you last week that he wrote the book of Philippians from prison. He was in prison in Rome when this happened. But you might be interested to know how Paul got in prison in Rome to write this letter of Philippians. This was later on in his life. And his path to get to prison in Rome was a path of great uncertainty. It's a phenomenal story beginning in Acts chapter 22. You can read from Acts 22 through the rest of Acts. You'll love it. You'll just love it. You'll be reading it and you're going, that one was right. I love it. It's just a great story. And here's basically the nuts and bolts of this story. Paul was in Jerusalem preaching about Jesus Christ. And in the same way that the Jews were threatened by Jesus a number of years before that, they were threatened by Paul because Paul was messing up their system, their Jewish system. So they were threatened by Paul. They wanted Paul to be... They wanted the, the Romans to get rid of Paul. The Romans are the ones who are in charge. They're the political leaders. And so the Jews at that time, just like they sent Jesus to the Romans, they were sending Paul to the Romans. Get rid of this guy. He was actually on a stretcher. Like, you know, the end of Braveheart. You know, the whole thing. He's out, and they're ready to flog him. And Paul says, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this without me going through trial. And they went, oh, good point. And so then, and, you know, rat to halt. So the whole thing, Paul is going through this amazing journey of uncertainty. What's going to happen to me as he remains faithful to Christ? And so what happens with Paul, you'll read in, in, in Acts, is that he, he kind of goes up the ladder of importance. He gets sent to another important person, and then to another important person. And finally, Paul says, I want to appeal to Caesar in Rome. I want to go to Rome. You see, Paul, his whole life he wanted to go to Rome. Longed to go to Rome. At this time in the world, Rome was the center of the universe. Everything philosophical and, 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 and art and everything centered in Rome. And Paul so desperately wanted to go to Rome. He wrote the book of Romans, having never been there. He wrote a letter to the Romans. And in it he says, someday I'd love to come be with you. Someday I'd love to come see you. So here he is later on in years, just, just getting off the stretcher, shoulders hurting, saying, I want to go to Rome. I so desperately want to go to Rome. Uncertain whether that was going to happen or how that was going to happen. Well, he gets on a ship, and he's in, uh, off Jerusalem. Uh, you, you can dock, get on a ship, go through the Mediterranean Sea, and then go up towards Rome. Fairly long trip. He gets on a ship as a prisoner. He's with a bunch of other prisoners on a ship. And he says, I don't, he says to the captain, I don't think you ought to go that way. I think you ought to go that way. And the, and the captain says, you're the prisoner. I'm the captain. I say what's going on here. And Paul says, okay, that's fine. Well, they, they experience 14 days of hurricane-like weather. Psh, their lives are threatened through the whole thing. And Paul's just saying, told you, man. I mean, I mean the whole thing, 14 days, the whole thing is all, and then they end up getting shipwrecked on an island called Malta. And on this island, Paul, the prisoner, becomes a hero. He uh, s s um, heals people. He provides for them, for the, for the natives who were there. He provides for those who are around. After three months, with Paul being the hero on this island, they decide they get another ship and they go to Rome. Paul's a prisoner again, gets back in the thing, goes to Rome, gets there, and that's when he eventually, while he's in Rome, that's when he writes the book of Philippians. What an incredible trip. This is filled with uncertainty the whole way. And everyone around Paul, you can read it, in the book of Acts, everyone around him is freaking out. Everyone around him is filled with stress, 
filled with anxiety. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And Paul is resting in peace. He's experiencing peace. He's not just writing about it. He's living it. The whole time he's just saying, God, God's in charge. God's in charge. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now when you think about uncertainty and the, 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 the certainty of uncertainty and all that, the head kind of goes, well, that makes sense. Do not be anxious about anything. But that's easier said than done. Now, Jesus said the same thing. He said, do not worry. Do not worry. I tell you, when I'm worrying, the last thing I want is for somebody to come up to me and say, oh, don't worry. Oh, really? Oh, thanks. That was helpful. That's what I needed to hear. Don't worry? Okay. I'm working on it. I'm working on not worrying. How's it going? It'd be like me telling you, don't swallow. Do not swallow. Seriously, right now, don't swallow. Don't swallow, okay? Just for a few moments here, don't swallow. Right now, your throat is feeling really dry, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's just starting to dry up. The saliva glands in your mouth, they're starting to pump juices, and you're going, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do? He told me I can't swallow. What am I going to do with that? And it's just filling up, and there's nothing you can do about it. Don't, don't swallow. Don't swallow. I just did. I'm, I, I'm allowed to because I'm, I'm the preacher. So, so I, don't swallow, though. And this at night, I don't know if you've ever done this, when I'm, I'm lying in bed and, and my throat is hurting and I try to tell myself, Alan, just don't swallow. Just don't swallow. Ow! Just don't, just don't swallow. I gotta swallow. Don't swallow. The more I think about it, the more I swallow. How many of you, since I said do not swallow, be honest, how many of you have swallowed? What's the deal? I just told you not to swallow. If, somebody, if you're told do not do this, there's kind of a... A natural thing. Now, why do we worry? We know in our head it's not going to help. But we worry sometimes because at least we're doing something. Right? I mean, we're experiencing uncertainty. There's anxiety. There's things going on. There's nothing we could do about it. So at least we can worry. At least we can do something. We can do this. I don't know. I don't know if anybody does that when they worry. But, but at least there's something. But worrying is so not helpful. It's like when you go bowling and like you got one pin, and then you toss the ball, and then you lean. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I am so bad at this, and I try not to, but I end up going. <laughs> doing the I'm like three lanes over. You're like, Mind control. You're trying to get the ball. Shift over. It's like at least we can do something. I can't move that ball over there, but at least I'm over here. At least I can do something. That's all worry is. In fact, it's even worse than that because it, it generates this anxiety, this stress that we carry with us. Do not be anxious about anything. The beautiful thing is that Paul doesn't just say that. He doesn't just say, do not worry, and then gets on his horse and takes off. He gives us something we can do. Second half of verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but... In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray. Pray. We talk about prayer all the time in church. What does that mean? What does that look like? And does it really matter? How does that look? Take it to Jesus. 
There is no formula for prayer. Jesus wonderfully gives us, this is how you should pray, and it's a beautiful thing to remember. But as far as taking something to God, you just bring it as is, the way you are, your own way of saying it, you just bring it. You take it to Jesus. You pray. You bring it in. Paul gives us an action step that is so beautiful here. We pray. We bring it to Jesus. And in that process, when we continue to do that over and over and over again and bring it to Jesus, we will be reminded that he is bigger than we are. That he has control over things that we don't have control over. That he is sovereign. So we can be out here on our own, stressing and experiencing anxiety and saying, what can I do to fix this? What can I do to turn this around? What? It's all about me. It's all about all the wages on me. Or we bring it to Jesus and every time we do that, we get more and more confidence that he is the one who's in charge. Now who in our culture, who in our culture has the least anxiety, the least stress about life? Kids. Children. Children. Little kids don't have nightmares. It, it takes a little while before they start to experience enough uncertainty and anxiety to where their minds start to stir up some nightmare things. Little kids typically don't have nightmares. They sleep in heavenly peace. They're hungry maybe a little bit. But other than that, I mean, little kids don't have, they are not stressed out about the things that we're stressed out about. They're not worried about the economy. They're not worried about whether the mortgage is going to be paid. They're not worried about whether food is going to be on the table. They're not worried about, by the design of God for the family, the way God designed the family, they are not worried about whether mom loves them or not. Hopefully. They're not worried about whether dad loves them or not. And hopefully, by the design of God for what the family could be, they're not worried about whether mom and dad love each other. They just don't carry that anxiety. Hopefully. Just last week, we were sitting down at the table, and I have a seven and five and a three-year-old, and I, I do that because that's where they sit. That helps me. But I have a seven and a five and a three-year-old, and we were sitting down at the table, and our seven-year-old, Gordon, he asked a question that he'd never asked before, and he just said, Daddy, why is it that some kids at my school only have a mom or only have a dad and so this is you know seven years old this is starting to come up and so we're talking about uh, you know we, Tammy and I took the opportunity to talk about the fact that different families are different and and uh, sometimes uh, mommy and daddy decide not to stay together sometimes mommy and daddy um, um, decide that they they, they, they don't uh, love each other in the same way that they that they did before sometimes something tragic happens to a mom or a dad there are many other there are many circumstances that lead to families looking different and then I said I said I, I need your attention for this I need all I need all three of you look at me in the eye this is when we really do that look at me show me that you're looking listening look at me in the eye you need to know that mom and dad love each other very much and that we are going to be together for a long time you are stuck with us you need to understand that and we could see on our seven-year-old Actually, my wife noticed it later. I didn't see it, but my wife noticed it and told me later. He went, he, he, he took a sigh. He needed to hear that. What was so interesting was my five-year-old who had his knees up on the table and he, and he was eating and he said, 
You can't know that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Some of you know my five-year-old. But I, I said, Jeremy and I looked at each other and we're going, oh, I don't remember this in the books. I, I don't remember this part here. And he's going, well, I mean, you can't know what the future looks like. You can't be for sure that you guys are going to stay together. Totally relaxed, stress-free, this guy. And like, he's right. I mean, we don't know. He's, he's right with all that stuff. Tammy and I are totally committed to one another. But we don't know what the future holds. But this guy, he's just, he's just, I don't know what's going on with his sweet little brain. But it's so fascinating how the different ages responded to this little conversation. That the seven-year-old, who is increasing in anxiety and stress and just the reality of life, needed to hear that assurance. The five-year-old, his brain is getting way too much, but he wasn't experiencing any stress about the whole situation. And our three-year-old, she had no clue what we were talking about. <laughs> she just, she just, I, she can identify each person in our family. That's kind of where she's at right now. <laughs> she's, uh, she's all good. I mean, but t- different people respond in different ways. Kids have very little uncertainty in their lives. The smaller they are, the less uncertainty there is. That's why it's so good to have structure for kids. That's why it is so good for little kids to know this is what my nap time looks like, where it is and how it's going to look like. This is what bedtime looks like. This is what eating looks like. So that there is, there's little uncertainty so they can spend all of their developing days just embracing the fact that mom and dad are there for them. They can trust mom and dad. There's no anxiety for a little kid. I trust mom and dad. And that will be there when they grow up and that when the stakes get higher and there are more complicated things to talk about, there's this root system of of certainty and that that will one day get translated in their relationship with God. That they can have this root system that goes, I can trust God. I can trust God. There is a a rock place for me in my journey. It's no wonder that Jesus says, bring the children to me. Bring the children to me. Whoever does not embrace the kingdom of God like these children, they will not enter it. It It says, whoever humbles himself like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of God because a child doesn't carry all the anxiety, all all the doubt, all the distrust that we do when, we, when, when it comes to, to leaning on God. Here's a, with regard to prayer, Paul says pray. With regard to prayer, here is a great prayer for you, maybe if you're getting started or if you're stuck in a rut with this piece. It is a prayer that's been around for a number of decades. Some of you are probably very familiar with it. It's called the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer or peace prayer says, God, give me, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You can look it up on any search engine, serenity prayer, and you'll find it. Print it up, put it somewhere on your fridge. Serenity to accept the things I cannot change. There's uncertainty in life. And, and the peace comes from realizing, okay, I can't, stress or get anxious about that because I can't do anything about it. 
So I'm going to let that one go. This other thing here, I want to have the courage because I can actually do something about this piece. But this piece of uncertainty, I'm going to let it go and trust God with that one. And then, Paul, in verse 7, he gives us the promise. The beautiful promise, if, you're, if you still have your Bible open. He sets us all up, and then he, he says, And then, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I pray for people, I often pray for peace. It's just, it's just off, so often what prayer is all about. It's about, it's about praying for peace. And this verse comes up so often when I'm, when I'm praying with people and for people. This phrase about a peace that transcends or surpasses understanding. When I'm with people and, and I am experiencing uh, some of your pain or your um, unfathomable difficulty in life, I don't want to pray for a peace that just makes sense to me. I want to pray for a peace that transcends my understanding, our understanding. That prays, I want to pray for a peace that it surpasses, that is not limited by what my mind can come up with. That's why I love the words of Paul here. Some of you have experienced what Paul refers to as a peace that transcends understanding. Some of you have experienced that in your life. I know it. I've heard your stories. You're blessed. Some of you deeply desire to experience a peace that transcends understanding. Maybe you've read that before and you so long for that in your journey right now. Paul says, pray. (laughs) Bring your requests to God. And he says that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word guard, it's a military term referring to an army of soldiers that would gather around a city to protect it. The army would gather around and, and, and watch over the city to protect it. So when we pray, when we bring our requests to God, we call in an army of heavenly beings to come and surround our hearts and our minds and protect them from the attacks of the enemy that want to bring doubt, that want to bring stress, that want to bring anxiety into your journeys to take you out, to distract you from what God has created you to do, what God has created you to be. This can guard our hearts and our minds. So what happens in your life, in your journey, when your hearts and minds are poorly guarded? What does it look like when anxiety creeps into your life? Does it show up as headaches? Does it show up as sleeplessness, irritability, anger, workaholism, laziness, depression, substance abuse? How does it show up in your journey? Paul says, pray. I love, there's a section in there that often gets missed in the section that I just read. It's at the end of verse five where he writes, the Lord is near. And uh, I, I had to read this three times this week before I even noticed that it says, the Lord is near. Somebody came up to me after the first 
service and said, Alan, this is weird because he had underlined every part of the section that we're talking about, but not the four words, the Lord is near. We kind of skip over that part. Paul says pray and God is there. He is near. We don't have to, we don't have to search him out and say, I'm going to pray hard enough and hopefully God will, will decide to love me enough to show up for this prayer time. The Lord is near. He so wants you to bring your request to him, to be with him, to be with him. These nine fruit are not nine more things that you need to add to your list of what to do in order to become a good person. No, no, they, they aren't things to increase your anxiety, increase your stress. If only I could work hard enough and do these things and do these things because then I can be like Jesus. No, you can't be like Jesus. Don't even try. Instead of being like Jesus, you get to be with Jesus. Don't worry about being like Jesus. Be with him. The Lord is near. Take your requests to God. Go to the root, go to the trunk, go to the rock, the solid part. Be with Jesus. And we all know that when we spend enough time with somebody, we start to become like them. We spend enough time to somebody, we start to take on their attributes. When we spend time with Jesus, then we will start to see that we become more like him. And we will start to see love and joy and peace and these fruit that we so desire. We start chasing them over here. It's going to be a futile effort. Be with Jesus and enjoy the fruit of being like him that flows out of spending more and more time with him. This is what we mean around here by connect with God. Letter C, connect with God. This isn't legalism. This isn't do all this, do all this. It's an invitation to be with Jesus and let him transform your life. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I know that many, many in this room deeply desire to experience peace. There is great anxiety in so many different ways. Some folks have come into this uh, room with great anxiety with regard to their marriages. There are parts of that journey that we have um, control over, things that we can do, ways that we can participate in, in, in these marriages that can help bring healing. But then there are parts of it that we do not have control over. Father, there's great anxiety in this room with regard to the economic status, job status. There is great uncertainty there. So Father, may these words from Paul just scream at us today. Do not be anxious about anything, but bring it all to Jesus so that we can spend more time with you. Father, we do pray that you would give peace that passes understanding. That we maybe walked into this room and maybe our minds haven't even connected with how good you are. But Father, I pray that there's some experience, some story this week that is beyond our understanding. Father, give us the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change. Grant us the courage to change the things that we can and the wisdom to know the difference. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.